how can you start in this arena with basically nothing, not even knowledge or money or connections or anything? Like what's like, you know, some of the first things you can do? This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Max Kibler. Max is a brand new investor here in the Bay Area, and I want to record our conversation together to shed some light on one of the most common questions that newbies have. I had a great time answering Max's questions, and I hope you all get a better perspective of the industry from our conversation. If you like this episode, be sure to give it a five-star review and subscribe to the show. Enjoy. I'm basically super excited to have you on the show today because this is a something very unique. You know, I get a chance to talk to you and not to like learn something from you per mm. se directly, but I get to learn like what is your mindset right now? Like what are you thinking about? What are your main big questions? Because okay. for me, like I've kind of been in this industry for a, a while, you know, three years, not not too long, but I've been in the game for a little bit and I know some of the people who listen to this show are like way, way older and yeah. they completely forgot what it's like to be, to be new. Like you can imagine like in college, like a professor is trying to teach you something super complex and they explain it and they're like, oh, this is so obvious. And you're sitting in class like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. It makes me feel like they never were new or something like that. They like that they never were in the situation I'm in. So it's very hard to relate, you know, and to feel like, um, it's even possible to start from where I'm starting kind of. No, absolutely. Yeah. You feel like, dude, they don't, they don't get me. They're talking about flipping a million dollar deals. I'm just trying to get my first one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so before we start, go ahead and just introduce yourself and let everyone know a little bit more about who you are and why you got into real estate investing. My name is Max and I grew up in uh, Silicon Valley. I was born in Palo Alto. I did really poorly through school. Like I just didn't really ever pay attention very much. I kind of was always interested in doing my own things, like kind of often in my own world in some ways, but I was always really social and uh, like had a lot of friends and kind of like too social. But in class, it was like, I couldn't really connect with what they were trying to teach me most of the time. Still, I, I had to go to school legally for most of my young life. And then once I uh, got to high school and it was like, you know, you're kind of given the option whether you want to show up or not. And I sort of just stopped showing up actually because of the amount of absences that I had, they kicked me out of my high school. <laughs> and I, uh, I had to graduate from a continuation school and I did graduate there and got a degree and went on to a community college in the area. And once I got there, I, I, you know, a lot of my friends went off to UCs and, you know, all this stuff and I would go visit them. And I, I really wanted to, for me, like it was always the social aspect was, was what I was thinking of. Like I wanted to be around my friends. I wanted to have fun. I wasn't really, I mean, I knew I was studying psychology when I first started and I was thinking like, oh, I'm interested in how people's minds work. I'm interested in uh, something like that. Maybe I could have a career in this, but it wasn't really anything very serious, but I was still trying through college and kind of really like applying myself more than I had before. And I did that for about a year and a half. Once, it, you know, in the beginning, I was like taking classes I was interested in and getting good grades in those. And, you know, it was the first time I could like really choose my classes. So that was like a big thing for me. But uh, 
once I had to start taking the classes, I was forced to take again, and I just kept falling back into the same cycle again of not wanting to show up and just not being very interested or dedicated in what, in what I was doing. And so I sort of um, segued off into some kind of weird, like, uh, Eastern spirituality type things. I, I read this uh, old Indian book called the Mahabharata. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's like this old, uh, like, Vedic scripture type stuff, like, about yoga and all these things. and I read that and I ended up um, kind of joining up with the, this group of like Indian yogis that were in my town and uh, kind of like stopping going to school. And I actually moved off to, I was in Quebec and I was there for a little while, like about a month out in, um, just out in the middle of the woods in Canada doing yoga and just living like in a really rural way with these people who were like yogis, you know, like I'm saying. And, um, so that was um, kind of like the first thing I did that really separated me from what a lot of other people around me had been doing and what their goals were. And when I came, I, I was in Canada and then I went to New York. It was another one of their temples there. So once I came back uh, to, back to the Bay Area from that, it was kind of like really just I had very kind of felt like I'd already separated so far from the normal track of things that... Uh, I, it was pretty hard to relate to a lot of stuff around me. And I knew from about the time that I stopped kind of going to community college that I didn't want to um, be in like the rat race. Right. But I didn't ever have the idea that the way you could get out of the rat race was with having your own business or investing or, you know, these different things. I, I didn't really know that I grew up, you know, my family, I didn't grow up from a lot of money or anything. And so Pretty much what I was always told was just go to school and then get a good job. And it's like, if you get a good job, that's how you can get out or something. And that sort of never really resonated with me very much. So the way I tried to escape from it was kind of like through some sort of spiritual thing. And um, so when I came back from Tokyo and I sort of met up with a lot of different people in the area who are various like healers or like uh just people who are into Ayurveda or Qigong, or I started doing some different kind of martial arts and uh, people who are doing acupuncture. And I, I met this one uh, monk who was here teaching a Zen class. And after I was kind of learning Japanese from one of his friends. And then once he, I went to his meetup more, he just invited me to go and stay in his temple in Japan. So I ended up going there and I actually ended up living there as a Buddhist monk for three years. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I was ever going to come back to the Bay Area, actually. I, I, I thought I was going to be a monk or, I don't know, I thought maybe I would have some kind of job in Japan or do something. But, you know, that whole situation was like, they were paying for me to live there. Like, I didn't have to, they were paying for all my expenses and they were also giving me some money. And the amount of work I had to do was pretty limited. Um, it's still, I had to, I like cooked for them and stuff and helped clean. And I was actually running a kind of like a small farm for a while and using the vegetables to cook for them and stuff. But it wasn't anything like, didn't feel like a job exactly. And I was able to do that for three years. And I was actually able to travel a fair amount around Japan because they did like pilgrimages and stuff. And kind of, I had some free time and like they gave me some money to be able to travel and stuff. So have, having that experience for three years and just kind of thinking like, I, I felt like I sort of did something that no one really thought would have been possible in, in some way. Or I, when I told people before that I wanted to be a monk, 
they thought I was going to be very like, get to beg for money or something, or you're going to be stuck in some kind of thing where you can't really move around much. But actually in that temple too, I was that they didn't have a lot of the strict rules that you think of being a monk either. Like you didn't have to be celibate or you didn't have to not eat meat or not drink alcohol or like any of these things either. So I left the temple because I kind of felt disconnected from my, like my own culture a lot. Um, I did learn how to speak like good amount of Japanese and I understood a lot of stuff about their culture, but they don't, you're never going to fully accept you if you're a foreigner. Exactly. So I, I just felt too disconnected from my own roots. So I decided to come back. And the first thing I did when I came back was I, uh, worked on a farm that was up in NorCal in Sonoma County. And I was like off grid. And so I was working there for about four months. Still, I, I wanted to come back. I hadn't been back to my own like hometown, uh, Mountain View for that was, at that point, it was like almost four years. Once I got back, it was kind of like in those other two situations and even with living with the yogis and all this stuff, like money was sort of there as this issue, but it wasn't like in the forefront at all. It was these other things were really there. Once I came back here and actually I'm living with my grandmother right now. So once I moved in back here, it was like the the presence of money is just like a, just in the forefront of so many people's lives, you know, in, in the Bay Area. And so I, I really just started thinking about it and I kind of realized that in for my grandmother too, it's a big deal. And then for my parents also who don't live in the area anymore, but they were actually like priced out. So for them, it's a big deal also. So I'm kind of like, you know, I'm thinking like, yeah, I could just go and, and kind of like do the traveling monk thing again or something, but also feel like I'd kind of be leaving something behind that a lot of people are struggling with, with money and stuff. So I, I want to learn more about how this stuff actually works. So I, I was at the library and I, for the first time, I'd never done this. I just looked up like books for how to make money, you know, and, and that's when I came across like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Four Hour Work Week and some of these other books. And that was the first time I'd even really fully conceptualized or thought about like something like passive income or something like having a business system that's going to give you money without you having to really be there, things like that. And I, so that was sort of appealing that it seemed like a a kind of out of the box way to escape the grind, so to speak. I think some of the people who are successful in capitalism are kind of living in like an almost ascetic way. Like, I don't know, do you know who Jack Dorsey is? The CEO uh, Twitter guy, right? Yeah. And I, I just heard some stories about him, like kind of only eating like one meal a day or like he takes like some ice bath in the morning or just, I've heard like other stories about people like that. And I think, uh, last night, the the person you introduced me to, it's his name Ar- Arlen. Arlen, Arlen, yeah, yeah, Ar- Arlen, yeah. He uh, he, cause I told him that I was a monk, and and I kind of asked him for advice for like, well, what to do, and he said, oh, you know, he said you should, you kind of have to live like a monk still, like you know, to be like he was talking about like being frugal or about like you know trying to live below your means. And so I I just felt like a connection there somehow. So I I just kind of wanted to um pursue that if I could in this hyper-capitalist, competitive, kind of materialist place before I try to just jump ship again and, you know, go to whoever I'd go next, like Iceland or whatever. I don't know. That's so interesting, man. You have such a really, like, super unique story. I guess. (laughs) I feel like, yeah, I feel like you've already lived, like, such a full life that most people will never have. And it's cool to see you come back and try to conquer, like, this world now that you've already conquered, like, another type of challenge 
Yeah, yeah, because I think in a lot of ways that this world was what I was really trying to escape to, you know, a lot growing up. Uh, I felt like I it was impossible. I was kind of told once I saw that the price and everything was raising so much around here because of the tech explosion, I, I kind of was told by a lot of people like, oh, you're not going to be able to live around here. And like a lot of my own friends and stuff, have they're living in Santa Cruz or they're living in other places because they just can't live here. So it's kind of like the most, like even more impossible than whatever going to Japan or doing a different thing, just living in the place I'm from was like framed as this huge impossibility. So Yeah, it's actually a huge challenge for people. I mean, especially our age, right? Like 20s, most people don't have a house in their 20s. Right, yeah. They have like living with roommates or something probably, right? Most exactly, the... that's what I'm doing. I have, I, have, I have my house, but I house hack. So I rent out my rooms to all my friends. Okay, so you you own yeah. the you own the whole house, but then you're like they're paying you rent, so you're able to exactly. So you're paying off the mortgage or something, or they're covering your yep. own rent also. Yeah, yep. that's what that's a lot of people say to do. And then yeah, my question is always like, how do you even start with that? That's also what Arlen said. He said like extend extend your college years as much as possible, and he meant by like having roommates and you know uh, house hacking like that. And, for me, it's like, uh, how do you even buy a house in the first place? You know, around here, it's That's so expensive, true. but it's super appealing. Are you working right now? I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not working right now. I like, I was like working in a factory basically, and yeah, I didn't want to be there. Like, I, I don't mind like trading time for money, but as, as long as like I'm trading for something else too, besides just money. Like, if it's just a flat out like I'm doing something that I don't really see much value in. And then the only goal, like the only like reward I'm going to get is money. Even I don't really see a point, you know, and so I've been offered yeah. some other jobs that look similar to that, but I haven't taken any of them because, you know, I'd rather work for free doing something I like than just do something I hate, even for like a good amount of money, really. So know. how are you like surviving right now? I mean, I guess you're living with your grandma, so that's taking care of your cost of living. Right. What about for like small expenditures? Do you have like a small allowance that you can spend with? Yeah, I mean, you know, my uh, she's helping me out, and then also my mom is helping me out right now too. So, but my expenses are really low. Like I live, you know, way below. Like I don't spend money on anything that, that that's extravagant or anything like that. And you know, I, right. like if they were telling me, oh, you know, we want you to go out and work, I would. But it's it's more like they, you know especially my mom, she's kind of like, she's kind of like a hippie in a lot of ways. Like she lives in Clear Lake right now and they're actually rehabbing a house up there. And she, um, she's just really not, she's always told me like, just don't, don't go work, just work somewhere because you think you need to make money. Like I'll help you. And so that's good in some ways. But then I also wonder if it's like, I don't know, it, it, it makes my situation kind of unrelatable to a lot of people who, maybe see me as like lazy or something because they think I'm just not working or I'm just not like, you know, um, putting in my time or like, uh, someone told me the other day, they said like, you need, they told me I need to pay my dues or something like that. They're trying to get me to go and work for this construction company. And I did actually apply to work for that company, but they wanted someone who was going to be there like, forever like indefinitely they wanted like a huge commitment and i just couldn't really make that commitment so they didn't want to hire me you have a great mindset so that you say you're not just going to work just for money's sake 
you know, has to have some other benefit as well. Like you're learning as well on something that you right. like. And also, honestly, you're in like the you're in like the best position in the world because you can focus a hundred percent on whatever you want to do. Right. So that's mm-hmm. that's like amazing. And talk about being a monk. Uh, I did a vipassana retreat. I don't know if I told you this before, but it's like a ten day silent meditation vipassana yeah, yeah. style, right? Right. Yeah. Dude, so for ten days, I was living like a monk too, right? No access to anything luxurious. I was sleeping on some bed with five other dudes snoring like all night long. <laughs> yeah. And eating food that was free. And I'm like, dude, this is good food. I could yeah, make this yeah. myself for like two bucks. You know, it's you don't yeah. need money to be happy. Right. The way I see it, this is like a game. Like we're playing the game to get money, not because you need money to be happy, but because, dude, it's like a it's like a form of achievement, kind of like getting a high score in a video game. Right, right. So, like, how do you play the game better to get that higher score? Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, I totally agree with that, and I and I think that, uh, and I think it was in the Cashflow Quadrant, the Kiyosaki book, where he said that money is like an instrument of debt, and that it's like the way that you the way you get the way you leverage power with money is like the more people you can get to be indebted to you kind of. And, and I know I understand what you're saying where that like for, for, for people who are using it, like to get like a high score, you know, and that's like, you know, all their basic necessities are covered and and they're just, they're doing it to like, um, yeah, like for some kind of gratification, like, like in that way. And, but then I I guess it was saying that for some, you know, in his book, he was saying that for some people it's like, they really think it is like life or death, you know, and because if you're in a city and you don't have any direct access to resources and everything is going to ex- be exchanged with money, it's like you really do need money to survive at that point. And yeah, there's always that know. basic threshold. But like if you're a billionaire, you don't need 10 more billion dollars. Like there's no way you can possibly like spend 10 billion on consumer goods. You know, right. you can spend a billion on art or like something crazy like, you know, businesses. But mm. not on actual like toothpaste and like food. No, no yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, it's very hard for me to imagine what someone in that position, what their life would look like, who who has that, who had that that amount of power, shape their lifestyle, and what kind of questions they would have. I kind of want to know what it's like, but it's kind of murky because when you're at the base level of like, you know, if you're like working on a farm or if you're just kind of living like within your means or whatever you're doing, it's sort of like, there's not many questions. You kind of know, this is what I have to do. This is what I, it's pretty clear cut. But when you, when you move more into this sort of like uh really expansive capitalist kind of thing, and, and especially in the barrier where it's like people are really pushing the boundaries and almost becoming like transhuman and, and with technology and just really like the sky's the limit on a lot of this stuff. And, you know, then the question's like so much beyond, uh, something that's simple it becomes really like a kind of philosophical thing and I, I think it's trying to contemplate stuff like that is really also what's keeping me from being able to like totally focus on on one thing like like I have been trying to focus right now on getting my real estate license to be an agent because that seemed kind of like clear-cut had kind of like a basic sort of idea behind it but even then like as I'm moving through the courses so many questions come up you know and Every once in a while, I just keep thinking like, oh, what if I just, you know, go and just travel around with nothing again or do something like that. But something keeps kind of bringing me back to stuff like your meetup or this podcast or just I do want to figure out what the deeper meaning is there. I mean, the cool thing is you already know what it's like to be pretty much at zero and you know that you can survive at zero. So you don't have that fear behind you like, oh, my God, like I need a job. You already have such a huge advantage right there. 
And speaking of like, yeah, working on a farm is simple, but the money you get is smaller. And I had a philosophy about this. I said, because thinking is harder than physical activity. Like it's very easy to just use your body to do something and then not think, but it's very hard for you to just like think of ideas and be creative. And that's why people think get the big bucks. Like that's the whole premise of the book, Think and Grow Rich. Right. And I think it's uh, Henry Henry Ford, right? He said that. uh, Yeah. Is that quote all day? Yeah, he hires other people to, to uh, do a lot of stuff for him so he has time to think, right? <laughs> I thought I liked exactly. that quote. That's interesting. So, so far you've been doing real estate for how many months now? So I read that book by Kiyosaki about two months ago. And then it was just kind of in the back of my mind. The first thing I tried to do was like, I tried to start an e-commerce business. I tried to start a clothing, a clothing store with Shopify. And it just, I don't know, I mean... I didn't make any sales at all and I, I didn't try that hard at it, but that was like the, my first idea that I tried after reading that book. And after that, um, actually when I was just sort of out, like just at a bar, basically I, I met this woman who was talking about, she's getting into real estate investing and um, she kind of just like invited me to go with her and some of her other friends. And one of them was, I guess, a more, sort of more like he had actually had some success uh, investing and uh, we drove around in Stockton and like looked at some properties there that they were thinking about, I guess, rehabbing or flipping or something. I'm not sure. Just kind of her talking about it. And she sort of motivated me to like try to uh, get the license to be an agent. And yeah, that was about was a little more than a month ago that I met her. And then from there, it's just been like going to this real estate class. So oh, yeah, overall, it's been about a month, I think, or a little more than a month that I've been looking at this Yeah, stuff. <laughs> And you've been pretty active. Like I saw you at first the SJRNC one with you know Kevin Roberts, and then you came to my meetup twice. Right. So just yeah. going to these meetups, I'm sure you have a bunch of questions and I kind of want to you know dig into your mind. And honestly, I'm not an expert, right? There's no way I can claim that I know anything, but I I can try. <laughs> so All what right. kind of what kind of questions did you have? Okay, so the first question I had was was like how how can you start in you know this this arena with with nothing like basically nothing not even knowledge or money or connections or anything like what's like you know some of the first things you can do all right first of all that's so funny because when i talk to like the top dog investors i always ask that question because i feel like i'm in a similar position i'm like yeah i have some experience yeah i have some money but you know when i think about it i'm basically starting back from zero because of my recent downfall and and I kind of want to know, like, what does it take to get back up? Because some of these guys, they've gone through bankruptcy and foreclosure. They've had to start over mm-hmm. like 10 years ago. Yeah. The number one thing they always say is go to meetups. Meetups are pretty much free. 15 bucks, 20 bucks. You know, that's nothing in the grand scheme of things. Start like showing your face and looking around. Find the investor that you want to be in five years. Because there's so many different investing strategies. You know, you there's wholesaling, there's flipping, there's multifamily, there's raising money for multifamily. You know, there's new construction, private lending, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, find that person that you want to be and then find ways to add value to that person. So this is the hardest part. Imagine you're this top dog instead. And this new guy is coming up to try to talk to you and say, hey man, you want to come get lunch with me? You'd probably be like, I don't have time to eat lunch with you. Yeah. Al Williams said this, I have an unlimited amount of sweat equity for you. Like I will, because right. you don't work, right? No. You have all the time in the world to do all the tasks that they don't want to do. So 
what what does a multimillionaire not want to do? They don't want to make the phone calls. They don't want to knock on the doors, and they don't want to like yeah, they don't want to talk to people. They want their life to be simple. So if you can offer to do that for them, then they will let you shadow them. Supposedly,、mm-hmm. you can get them a deal and just be like, "Hey, I have this deal. I don't know what to do with it. Would you like to partner with me on this so that you know I get a little cut, but I also want to learn more?" And they'll probably say, "Yeah, if the deal is good." Okay, so you're saying mainly it's like talking to people is something that like knocking on doors or trying to find deals is something that. They might not have time to do, or that they want to like source a, a wider amount of those opportunities than they personally can get, right? That kind of thing. Like ultimately, these people are busy,、mm. and there's a lot of these tasks that they don't want to do themselves, but、mm. it needs to be done.、Mm. For example, if you want to do Airbnb arbitrage, I'm not sure if you heard that strategy before. Is that when you rent out a, or you buy a property to then rent out as Airbnb, like? Actually, so you don't even buy it. You just go to somebody and say, "Hey, let me like rent out your place for like two thousand bucks," and then you Airbnb it for four thousand. So you keep that two thousand spread. Okay.、Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are some pretty top,、uh, top guys who do that here in the Bay Area, but they're busy, or they're like out of the area. They don't. They're they're traveling all day.、Mm-hmm. So imagine you said, "Hey, man, let me work for you. You can not even pay me. Just let me learn, and I'll take care of all your stuff here while you're out traveling."、Mm-hmm. Then they they might say yes, okay, because you're providing them value. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's what I wrote. Was are there any ways to immediately start adding value as a complete beginner? So you're talking about like sweat equity and a lot of the things you're saying. Like, yeah, it requires some technical knowledge, I guess, just to kind of know what something like Airbnb arbitrage even is in the first place. But then at the other side of it, it's like a lot of it seems more like. You just have to be kind of bold or courageous enough to want to do those things, and because that's what I'm kind of wondering is how much technical knowledge do you need for people to take you seriously versus like what else are people looking for besides technical knowledge? Like what kind of personality traits or just you know what other kind of things? Because technical knowledge is, is like takes a long time actually to get everything there. You know, it takes a long time to <laughs> learn all these things. Yeah. Well, I think for any industry, whether it be real estate or anything else, like you need to know the basic lingo.、Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people just will not take you seriously. You know, right, right. do you know what ARV stands for? Do you know what LTV stands for? You know, IRR. Like, you don't need to know exactly how to calculate it. Yeah, you just need to understand that these concepts exist, and、mm-hmm. they're part of the daily lingo. Okay. Just so that when someone asks you, like, "Oh, what's the ARV on a property?" Like, "Hey, I have a, have a wholesale deal. What's ARV?" I don't know. Like, then this is not a good deal. But the thing is, this knowledge can be easily acquired because there's so much information out there already.、Mm-hmm. So for the most part, hey, listen to my podcast. You know, I have like 50 plus episodes. Go through them; you'll be an expert. Or, yeah, yeah. dude, just ask me. I can tell you the answer right away, just like that. Okay. Paper pockets and books. So honestly, I wouldn't worry about the technical stuff too much because you can learn a lot of it in like one day. Like specific, specific knowledge, you usually get that from just working with somebody else.、Mm-hmm. And they'll help you with all those like miscellaneous stuff that authors always forget to write about in their books. Okay, so、um, could you explain to me what ARV is? Is it after what after rehab value or what was, I can't even remember now. Yep, after repair value. After Basically, repair like value. when the when the property is done, how much does it cost or how much is it going to be worth? Okay, so also let's see. So I said like okay. I know that this is probably like a 
pretty complex question or there's probably a lot in this, but it just says, well, what is a good deal and how do you find one? Like, I know there's probably many different parameters that would make something a good deal, but for someone like me, who's, I'm spending a lot of time studying about this stuff or talking to people about it, but I'm not actually like going, driving around so much in the neighborhood, like looking at real houses or anything like that. You know, it's still so like theoretical. So I just kind of want to know, like, if you could tell me like the first basic thing to look out for that would uh, signal that something being a good deal or like a good chance to make money in an investment. That's an amazing question. And actually I ask a lot of my guests the same question. I say, what is your buying criteria? Because every person has a different buying criteria. Some are more conservative and some are not. Okay. So for example, one of the biggest real estate education programs out there is called fortune builders. There's a lot of people who are fortune builders in our community um, the typical one is about 65% of ARV minus your rehab costs. So if a property will sell for a million, they want to buy it for 650 grand minus your rehab costs, which may be like 50 to 75 grand. So that means you're left with what? 575 for a million dollar property. Now, <laughs> does that sound pretty ridiculous? Like who would sell you a million dollar home for 575? Like it's not going to happen here. Right. This yeah. formula works really well in other parts of the country, like mm. where houses are maybe $200,000. Then, it, then all right, it makes sense. You can probably buy a $200,000 house for 100 grand and then fix it up. So like, there's that one. Another big one that's here right now is 10% of ARV is their profit. So for a million dollar property, they want 10% of that to be profit. So 100 grand. So already you're, you need to buy it for under 900 then you have closing costs. So when you sell a house, you have to pay both realtors. So that's 5% right there. And then you have to pay around 2% for just like some miscellaneous closing costs. Mm. So total, your closing cost is 7%. So if you calculate that backwards, like a million dollars, 7% of that is 70 grand. And you also have your 100 grand profit. So now you're at 830. And then it might cost you, you know, another 75 to repair it. So it's 830 minus 75 grand. And then you might have holding costs because you purchased the property with hard money maybe. So that's, you know, four months worth of payments plus whatever origination fees there are. Mm. So grand total, let's say you need to buy it for $700,000 or less. Mm. Okay. That didn't go over your head. Well, yeah, I, I got to get better at um, being able to like understand numbers. You know, that's the thing, like reading numbers. When I explain this all to you, what part of that did not make sense to you that you weren't able to catch on just like this? Um, so you mentioned like these different ex like expenses that go into it. Like the one thing you said about something where you have to pay a certain percentage to the hard money lender or something yep. like I didn't even yep. know about that at all. Like, I don't, I don't know about okay. that. That's one of my, my biggest, the biggest mystery for me is like how you would be using someone else's money to make these transactions and, and how that works. That's like a big, a big gray area for me. Okay, uh, so you understood the closing costs per se, but you didn't understand like the hard money stuff. Not totally. <laughs> if you, if okay. you could explain it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is all about for you to just ask these granular questions because, hey, you don't know it. I know it, but yeah. many people out there, they probably don't know either. So it's cool. Just ask. Right. So yeah, 7% usually goes because um, when you sell a home here in the Bay Area, typical realtor commission is 5%. Okay. Of the closing costs. So 2.5% goes to you know, the listing agent and 2.5% goes to the buyer's agent. 
Okay. So 5% total seller pays for it. And then there's another 2% kind of like a, you know, miscellaneous and all the other, uh, like, uh, transfer taxes, title fees, escrow fees, notary fees, everything about 2% of the purchase price or sell price. That's why we budget 7% total for closing fees. Okay. So that's okay. Okay. Got it. And that's when you sell. Now, when you buy the property, I mean, unless you have a lot of money, most of us are not that rich. Like I personally can't just bust out $700,000 to buy a home. What I do is I get a hard money loan because in this industry, hard money allows you to buy a property without looking at your own personal records. It looks at the value of the asset, which is the home you're going to buy. Okay. And when you say your own personal record, do you mean like your history of what kind of deals you've made or your credit or like what exactly does that mean? Look at your credit score for sure. They want to make sure you're not like some shady dude that's going to just take their money and run away. Okay. But when it comes to like your income, if you were to buy a house regularly, they have something called debt to income ratio or DTI. Mm-hmm. And your DTI can't be above like 43%. So like you take all your debt, you know, car loans, student loans, and other mortgage payments you have. How much are you paying that monthly? And divide that by how much are you getting? Uh, every month from your job or from your other rental properties. And that ratio has to be below 43% after getting this new property. So, you know, if you have a lot of different flips going on, there's no way you can get a traditional loan. And plus traditional loans, like going to like Chase Bank or Wells Fargo, they take forever, like 30 days plus. Hard money, they can close in, shoot, five days, 10 days, depends on how good your uh, hard money lender is. Okay. So what, what exactly is a hard money lender? Like, how does that person make a profit or like, how do you find these people or like, who are, like, who are they exactly? Like, so hard money lenders are not like institutionalized banks. They're usually either private like firms or they're hedge funds that loan out money. Basically these guys loan out money at a higher than usual interest rate. So Hmm. let's say if you bought a 30 year fixed loan for a home, you could probably get, you know, a little under 4% right now a year. But for hard money, that number goes all the way up to like 10%. And it's interest only usually. And the loan terms are usually very short, like one year. And then okay. to get the loan, you also do some, you also pay something called points. points right. So points stands for like the origination fees. The points are a percentage of the loan amount. So let's say you're buying the property for $700,000. Okay. They'll give it to you, maybe let's say 90% LTV. So do you know what LTV stands for? No, yeah, help me out. <laughs> okay. LTV stands for loan to value ratio. Loan so to value. no one's going to give you all $700,000, okay? They're going to make sure you have some of your own skin in the game. They're going to make sure you have 10%, but they'll loan the other 90%. That's why it's called 90% LTV. So for 700,000, you put in 70, they'll put in 630. Okay, got it. You at least need to be able to cover that difference. Like they're not going to lend you the whole amount that you would need to buy the property. That's right. right. That's right. And then what was yep. the, what is the reason why they wouldn't want to lend the whole amount? They want you to have skin in the game. They want to make sure that you're not just going to, you know, like if you defaulted, it's like, I don't care. I have no money in the game. Okay. And if you foreclose on them, they want to make sure they have some, some safety net, some cushion. Okay. So you need to at least have that amount. And it's usually 10% or something. Yeah, usually. There are some places that do give 100% LTV. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll loan you everything, but they charge a lot of money. Like they charge a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But 
some people have no option, right? And right. <laughs> yeah. So basically, basically for 90% of 700,000, they're going to loan you 630 grand and they'll charge you, let's say 10% a year on that money, interest only. So if you hold onto that property for a whole year, you're basically going to be paying $63,000 and your monthly payment is $63,000 divided by 12. So far, so good? Um, yeah, could you just repeat that last thing one more time? Sorry. <laughs> okay. At 10% interest for a $630,000 loan, mm-hmm. your total yearly payment is going to be $63,000, 10% okay. of 630. Right. And your monthly payment is going to be, you know, 63,000 divided by 12. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And you have to pay something called uh, points, which are the origination fees. And, you know, for a new investor, it's co- it's probably going to be about 2%. So the loan amount is $630,000. You're going to be paying 2% on that. So that's like, you know, 12.6 grand. Okay. Got it. That uh, percentage, the LTV thing, that'd be like a, that's like a, that would bar people from being able to use a, a hard money lender if they didn't, if they weren't able to pay. You said people will, will offer like a hundred percent loan, but then they charge a lot of money in interest, right? Or like, I've I've heard of it, and what they do is they charge twelve percent interest and four points, four mm-hmm. points just to do the loan. But yeah, wow. it's a hundred percent. Yeah. So let me ask you, what do you do if you find a deal like this, and you don't have the seventy thousand dollars? I don't know. That's what I'm wondering. Like, what well, what would you do? You wouldn't be able to do it. Or? You let's be creative. What would you do? You just say, all right, forget about it. This deal sucks. Move on. I can't do any deals. I'm done. Yeah, how would you come up with uh, seventy thousand dollars? <laughs> like that would come from your your job or something, or money you have saved up, or like what you know? Is there like so if you can do the deal yourself, then yeah, you just use your own money. But let's say we're in someone else's position where they don't have that kind of funds. There's two things they can do. One thing is they can sell the deal to somebody else. Be like, hey, this deal has good numbers. I think that if you do this deal, you can make a hundred thousand dollar profit. So that's something called wholesaling where they sell you the contract. Cause like there's some law, right? Apparently if you sign a document, you have something called equitable, right? So then you have the right to sell this document to somebody else. And so they can buy it at that price. And then you get whatever you charge for the right to sell a document. So in the okay. Bay area, man, that, that number goes high 25 to hundred grand. That's yeah. called wholesaling. That's called wholesaling. Yeah. The second thing you can do, which is something that I recommend you do actually, is instead of wholesaling it, you find someone that you like and trust and you say, hey, I have this deal, but I can't close on it and I need your help. And that's where the whole like mentorship thing comes into play because you're offering them a deal. You just want a small commission. You know, you have no one of your own money, but you said, look, I can help you like manage the project. I found the deal for you. Let me get a cut but also learn your system. And, you know, if you're giving them a deal, for the most part, they might say yes. Okay. So, like, you have to have a, a deal that they'd be interested in that they think is, like, worth it, right? Because... Yeah, of course. And so then, like, what are the chances you're going to find a deal that no one else has found or that, like, no one else already knows about? Like, how, how competitive is, is like, uh, is the whole market in this area, like, with that kind of thing? Uh, it's super, super competitive here. If you do the traditional method of just sending out direct mail, which is one of the ones that a lot of people like a lot, Mm 
the average is $18,000 per good deal. Like you're sending out $18,000 worth of mail to people, getting calls and getting cussed out just to get one good deal. Like you might get 10 actual deals, but one of them will be good. And then so like that's an actual like piece of mail that would go to their house, right? Like uh, in their mailbox. And then what like how would you use that to get a deal exactly? Like you're asking them what or like what are you asking or like what does it say? I'm not an expert in mail, but I'll just tell you what I know. You're basically just saying, hey, I want to buy your house. Are you interested? Give me a call. Oh, their own house. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And so then they say, yeah, I'm interested. Come through. Then you come through, you take a look and you make sure you can get a ballpark of how much it's going to cost. And then you just talk. You build rapport. You sign a contract. And you, I guess you negotiate some terms. You say, all right, I'll buy your house in this time for this much money. Write it up. And then bada beam, bada boom. Honestly, I don't have the experience for it. Okay. So you don't use that method of direct mail at all? I've done it before and I've gotten to some appointments, but I have not gotten a deal from it okay. personally. But I don't do enough volume. See? But uh, would you think, do people think that's like a good method to use or do they think that it's they love too, it? They love it. Okay. It's expensive, it's expensive. though, right? It's expensive. It's expensive. So for a new, newer person like you, I don't know if I would recommend it because you don't have 18 grand to blow. Right. Yeah. And that's a statistical average. You know, it could, hey, it could only be $1. Hey, your first house. Or it could be 100000 <laughs> Who knows? So I remember listening to your other podcast where you sort of teamed up with someone from the meetup group to like go in on a deal together, yeah. right? Kind of like became that's your right. mentor. And uh, like, how did you find that deal? Like, I think that you probably talked about it, but I can't totally remember. Like, if you didn't, you're not using direct mail or like you're so... How did you find yeah, it? So, I mean, I did direct mail. I did go to meet, uh, I did go to meetings with the sellers, but oh. nothing ever panned out. And then after, you know, a year or so of just trying it, I honestly, I got super lucky. You know, I just kept showing my face. I kept going to meetups. I kept volunteering. And it just so happened that my friend, Elisa happened to have a deal that she couldn't handle because she had her too much uh, other commitments. So even if you're rich, there can be times when you just don't have the cash to do deals. So then what do you do? Yeah. So then she said, Hey, Sean, I know you were looking for some deals. Are you interested in this one? And I was like, yeah, I'm down. So then we partnered on it. Mm. And then that deal was like the best deal I had. So she, so she kind of showed you the deal like for free. Exactly. Cause, cause so she gets her deals by calling agents. That's another free way that people are doing. They're just calling agents and trying to become buddy, buddy with them. And then they say, Hey, if you have any off market leads, let me know. I'll take a look at them. And if they're good, I'll let you be my seller as well. So okay. they're motivated by working with those people. And then the agent, they'll know because they're representing some, or they just know a lot from having the MLS or something or they're. Well, the agents are usually farming these areas for years and years and years. They're just Farm. like okay, right. constantly sending out mail once a month, the same people. And so they know this neighborhood very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, that's, that's a thing for me. That's like a mental block right now is like, how do you even find something like where like do you so you're so beyond like sending out mail to people and asking you're asking just everyone if they want to sell their own house right i mean do people is that what you do when you go around and knock on people's doors you you ask them do you want to sell your house kind of like in in some form sorry say it one more time oh well because people talk about um going around and knocking on people's doors right like as, as a way to try to find deals? Is that like you're going around and you're asking people, do you want to sell your house? 
Is that sort of like the idea? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. It's scary, dude. And, and you get your door slammed on your face sometimes. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, because there people probably take it as like a kind of like a threat, right? <laughs> because you're kind of Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Even sending out mail, you get cussed out sometimes. So is, is there a way that Okay, so besides sending out mail, what's like the second most like uh, commonly used method door knocking? Um no, it's actually cold calling. Cold calling. Okay. This one is even more like you know, intrusive. Mm-hmm. You're actually calling their cell phones and being like, "Hello, would you like to sell your home?" And they're like, "What the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> so you just like flat out ask. Okay. Yeah, I mean, my friends they do it. They they call, they have a they have a power dialer, so they call three people at the same time and just mm-hmm. go through a giant list all day. Wow. So that's like the because I, I I guess I thought somehow that you would like go and find like sometimes I walk around my neighborhood and I see houses that look like abandoned or something. But I guess if they're if it's already like if it's already clearly there and it's abandoned, there's, there's probably someone who's doing something with it or knows about it, right? Like you want to that's fine or not. Oh, okay. It, it may not be. That's called driving for dollars. Have you heard of that term before? No, I have not heard of that. You just it's drive around and you're driving for... and you see yeah. like really crappy looking homes uh-huh. or like weeds up to here. And you, you know, write down the address and you start tracing them and you can find all their information. It's all public info. Okay. Cause I, cause I want to go, I want to go back cause to the cold calling and the going to people's houses and sending them mail and stuff. Like obviously a lot of people may feel threatened or, you know, they're going to get a bad reaction, but there's probably going to be like one guy who they really do want to sell their house or they really need to sell their house or something, you know? So like you have an opportunity to help actually help someone, you know, but you have to just get through this huge wave of, you know, and, and when you're saying people are like just sending out these masses of, of uh, trying to just connect to as many people as possible, is there any other way that you can you can kind of be more, I don't know, like specific about choosing like who you would try to interact with or like signals you could look for or like if someone of course wants, yeah okay. even when you're mailing out this giant batch, there's always information that you can filter people out with. Mm-hmm. So like for me, I filter out location obviously i filter out when was the last time this property was sold so if they just bought their home then there's no way they're going to sell a discount no way but if they bought it for you know 30 years ago then there's a chance wow yeah this this is like a an aspect of this that i didn't even understand before talking to you right now about like just that's what you're doing like calling people and, and talking to agents and stuff and you're just trying to find uh people who yeah. want to yeah Interesting. I mean, it's it's prospecting, you know, it's prospecting for gold. You're <laughs> you have to go through a lot to get it, but in this area, all you need is one really good deal, and then you're done for the year, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can work at a high tech job, make hundred, hundred fifty. You can do one sweet deal and make two hundred. It's rare for sure, but I've seen so many people do it, and heck, I even did it myself. So I know, yeah. okay, they're out there. It's possible. Yeah. So yeah, you compared it to prospecting for gold. That's really interesting too. Oh yeah, but see on the other on the other hand though, I made some more revelations on my own. I'm thinking like, I don't think prospecting is the way to go. Oh okay. Like in the gold rush, you want to be the guy selling the pickaxes and not the guy mining for the gold because right. there's a lot of gold miners out there, right? But there's only one big pickaxe company. Yeah. So like Sean O'Toole, he made this thing called Property Radar. And like almost every real estate investor uses it. Right. Great tool, 50 bucks a month subscription based. 
He used to be a flipper himself, but then he realized it was too draining on his time and energy. And he realized if he just created this platform instead, he can make way, way, way more money and help way more people. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It came true. But that's the story for a different time. That's just uh-huh. my own personal philosophy. I mean, that's why I'm honestly, I'm not sending out the letters or cold calling people. Right. Because I want to focus my energy on building something else. But in the meantime, I do know this information and I'm happy to share it with everybody. Yeah. Really interesting. So you're, you're thinking of looking more into the idea of like creating a tool, tools to help people rather than just be another person who's like prospecting all the time, like what you're saying, right? Something similar to that. I'm not sure exactly what it is, which is why I'm still kind of like sitting on my hands right now. Got it. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I know in the gold rush, like tons of people were unsuccessful, you know, so like, have you met a lot of people who kind of attempt to be successful in this and then they just, nothing ever happens or, you know, they kind of, they kind of just never see them again. Yeah. That, well, Okay, in this business and the same as anything else in life, the only people who are really unsuccessful are the ones who just leave themselves. Everyone else from my generation who stuck through it, I mean, we've only been here for three years, but within those three years, I think every single person I know has done at least one deal. Wow. Okay. Now, not they're not all killing it for sure, but at least they are you know, more respected and they understand what to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, personally, I've taken huge losses. But I'm still in the game, you know. I can't. I can't really say that people have have failed. They just have disappeared. They quit. Oh, okay. You're, they just disappear. So you're saying like that the main thing that could probably prevent you from succeeding would be just like giving up, kind of. Exactly. It's okay. just your own your own like desire to do this is gone, and you decide to do something else. I see. That's the only way you can truly fail. Yeah. That's really interesting. You're, you seem very focused on this. And do you get distracted ever by like something else that you think you'd rather do or like that takes your attention away kind of? Dude, shiny object syndrome is always there for sure. Okay. The thing is, within real estate investing, there's already so many different topics. There's so many different ways of real estate investing. So I have not been distracted by other types of like businesses per se, mm-hmm. but I have been distracted within the world of real estate. It's like, do I want to do flipping? Do I want to do Airbnb? Do I want to do new construction? You know, I, I do get distracted there, which is not good. Like if you want to be successful, just focus on one thing, like take a good week, figure out what you want to do, what resonates the most with you. Yeah. And then just focus on that one thing. Give it time. You know, don't just jump because you see something else that's more lucrative. I was at this party on Friday and Someone told me, if you want to be successful, like, how do you get to oil? You have to dig, dig past the water, the bedrock. You dig all the way down. But what happens if you try to dig at too many places at once? You'll never hit the oil. Mm-hmm. One place. I was like, oh, good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you kind of figured out that this was the path you wanted to take. And then you just you said you've been kind of doing this for like three years now. Is that how long? I've been in the community for around three years, yeah. Years. just doing the same thing as you man like for my first year i didn't do anything i just kept going to meetups and honestly it kind of sucked but by being around all these people <laughs> yeah. yeah well because if you're going if you're there for one year with no deal it sucks right yeah well, sure everyone who's new can appreciate that yeah yeah 
So <clears throat> yeah, eventually you just hang out with all these people. You learn so much and then you say, all right, well, what am I waiting for? And you jump in and you realize, oh, it's not that scary. Mm-hmm. And you get better at it. Um, I wanted to ask you like what your uh, opinion is on like taking risks. Like how important do you think it is to like, cause I, don't, I, I know a lot of people say like you have to take risks. It's more dangerous to like not um, take risks and then miss chances and stuff. But like, what would be like something that was just way too like risky, you know, like, like do you have, do you, do you kind of have like a scale that you can use to um, like appropriate risk or I don't know how to say that the right way, but kind of like, I, I get it. I, yeah. And to be honest, I think, I'm personally still too new to properly assess risk because I got into a deal that I thought was a no brainer. I thought I was going to win for sure. End up losing like a butt ton of money, like so much. And I didn't account for that. I thought there was no way that was going to happen. No way. And then it happened. And I thought, holy crap, like this is real life. So I guess for you, it's like, what's the worst that can happen to you? And can you stomach that? Because you've already lived three years as a monk, I'm pretty sure even if you went like bankrupt, right? That's the worst that can happen to you in this industry. You're not going to get murdered over real estate, right? You're not going to lose your life over real estate. Right. <laughs> the absolute worst thing that can happen to you is that you lose money. Mm-hmm. And then like, how, how, do you, how would you feel if you lost all your money? It, it probably wouldn't be that bad. You know what it's like to have no money. Yeah, exactly. I know. I guess for me, I'm, I'm not so worried about losing money. It's more like... Um going crazy or something <laughs> like like do you have the mental fortitude the intestinal fortitude to deal with it yeah or like to like embarrassment or something i think it seems worse like losing your status because uh, when you fail it's like you're you know i think in, in school too you know they say it's like people you're kind of trained not to ever fail like you can't fail in school or else you actually just fail you know and, and uh i always wonder like I, I just feel like I learn a lot when I do fail, but it's kind of this weird feeling where, where you kind of, you're kind of forced to rethink your, your whole sense of self and stuff like that. You know? So I, I always want, I wonder too, cause you said you, you, you lost a lot of money on this one deal. Do you feel like that was a, like somehow like you learned something from that as well? Like it was like somehow to your advantage to have gone Absolutely. through that. Yeah. Every curse and blessing in disguise, right? Like right. it's built a lot of character. You know, uh, yeah, and everything you just said is exactly kind of like what I was going through, right? Like I had a lot of pride. I thought I was some hot shot because you know my first deal I made a bunch of money. Yeah, I thought I was killing it. I was going to my coworkers and I was saying like, "Man, you guys are foolish for like working so hard." Here I am, making a bunch of money. Yeah, right? yeah. But then I lost all my money, and now I'm like, "Damn, I feel like a fool for talking so much." Especially talking to my family, right? I was like, oh man, you guys are still working? You're so old. Like, you shouldn't be working anymore. You guys should do this instead. Oh my Anyways, God. Right, right. Yeah. So, so now it's like, damn, I'm embarrassed, but it's okay. I'm still alive. I live another day. And in fact, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to feel shameful. So, what I did was I wrote my story and then I shared it publicly to everybody. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. And then uh, now, no one could hold that against me. No one could be like, oh, you know, hey, there's Sean, the guy that, that effed up really bad. It's like, dude, this is the one, he's the one that confessed. You were really public about it. Like you were really public about your loss. Kind of. I was deliberately public about it, even though, dude, it does not feel good, but I was deliberately public about it so that that failure would no longer own me. Uh-huh. I own it. And then I can move on with my life. That's really interesting. Yeah. 
you mentioned you kind of had like an ego or like your pride was there and then sort of you had to reconcile with with losing and then with your ego kind of something happening but do you think coming out of that like you're more I don't know how to explain it exactly but yeah I mean I definitely became like a thousand percent more humble for sure you know I went to UCLA Mm-hmm. And I thought I was a smart dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I go to real estate meetups and, you know, no offense, but a lot of people going to real estate meetups don't have the same background as I do. So I thought, man, these guys are foolish. They're doing their numbers wrong, blah, blah, blah. Their models are incorrect. And I thought, man, how could people lose money in the, in the crash? Didn't they know? Like, man, these guys are just over leveraged, stupid and dumb. Mm-hmm. And that happened to me. And I thought, oh, I see. This is how it happens. Wow. Yeah. And then I realized mm, maybe these guys aren't so foolish after all. And I forget to see like the better qualities of people. Like, yeah, maybe they don't have the educational background, but they have more guts, more desire, you know, more willpower to do things that I am not doing. They're hustling harder than me. Mm. And I began to respect people more. And, you know, it took me from up here to way down here, looking up at everybody now. I look at, I look up to everybody now. And the cool thing is now, because I'm no longer like this, you know, egotistical dude, people have actually been very, very kind, very, yeah. very nice to me. And I, Truly, truly appreciate that. You know, even getting guests on my show before, I don't know if they would be willing to do it. But now I guess because they've seen how like open I am and how, I guess like how, how genuine that I, I like to share my feelings with. Now they're more open to talk to me as well. And they share that information with everyone else who listens to the podcast. So it's like a win-win for everybody. Right, right. Yeah. So like, what do you think about the idea of, it's not like losing on purpose, but sort of going into something maybe knowing knowing you would fail or like with the possibility that you're going to fail being very high, but doing it like, cause you know that even if you do fail, it could have like an overall like good outcome. Like it's kind of like making a fool of yourself on purpose or something like that. Like that's something I've been. I wouldn't say do anything like that on purpose per se, but yeah, uh-huh. for anything you do, especially when you're new, at least you learn. And mm-hmm. then you just say, mm, it's tuition. Right. And I mean, just remember that at least for money, it mm-hmm. is a stressful point, but at least you can always make it back. So, right. you know, I lost a lot of money, but the worst thing is I lost some of my friend's money because he was with me on this deal. And I'm like dedicated to making sure that he gets paid whole again. Otherwise, this relationship is going to be frayed. And that number is very high relative to if I were to work at a job and save that money, it would take me years to pay him back. But mm-hmm. I think, you know what, if I do these other things, then money is no longer a function of time. Money is now a function of value. So I just have to change my thinking and make more value. I'll make the money back and I can pay my friend back. It would be good. It's, there's a lot to think about. I'm like, just like processing everything you're talking about. It's like, it's, it's uh, so many different things going on in my head right now. But I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of also like what, like what kind of like mentality is necessary to like be successful in, in, in something like this. Like, cause I, I know that I'm, I got interested in it for some reason, but I, I somehow feel like I'm pretty different from people who are like, you know, really good with numbers or like they're have this sort of business mindset. Like I, my background's pretty different. I'm more, kind of more like, I don't know, introspective or something like that. And so I'm kind of trying to think like, trying to figure out like why I was interested in this kind of thing in the first place. And kind of like, if I would actually be a good match for, for something like that, you know, like where, where could I really provide value like I, I don't know if i'm the most competitive person there is i mean i i took that uh disc test thing and I, I guess that thing said i was pretty competitive but 
I don't know, something, something just feels like uh, some kind of like disconnect there for me. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. So this is actually what I love the most about real estate investing. This community is probably the most generous and helpful community that I know of at all. Like I've been to other meetups, like for example, I used to go to product management meetups and then these people, they're not super friendly. They're all very egotistical and they're all very, you know, quote smart. Whereas in real estate investing, everyone is super helpful and friendly. Mm-hmm. Like people who are multimillionaires will talk to you and give you the time of day because they want to help you. But also yeah. I realized, man, if you help someone that's new and they happen to bring you a deal, that's probably going to be about ten to $50,000 in profit for both of you guys, right? So like is a potential ten to $50,000 worth a lunch with some newbie? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. So it's always... It's always in your interest to help people in the real estate community. So the mindset that you need is an abundance mindset. Abundance. That is probably the only thing you need. And do you know what that is? Abundance mindset? Um, beyond just kind of thinking about what it might mean. I'm not totally sure like specifically. What it okay. Means. Yeah. It's like, it's like a mentality that people talk about where you don't think, oh my God, there's only one deal left in the world. I got to keep this for myself. Instead, oh. you think, dude, there's so many deals in the world. If I get a deal, I'm going to share it. So we okay. get more deals together. Yeah, you think there's more than there actually is. So being like open-handed, sort of like uh, really... Uh, yeah, be like super generous, share everything, and you'll be rewarded very generously for that. All right, cool. So you, you said it's like a very um, generous community of people and stuff. Is there anything that you would warn people about as far as like, networking or who they meet or like any kind of red flags that might pop up. Like I went to a few things recently that I actually got like some job interviews and stuff that people who found my resume, it didn't have to do with real estate exactly, but it was something with like, you know, in business or it ended up being like, you know, like pyramid scheme kind of things, you know, and I've noticed around here, there's a lot of stuff that kind of like that, you know, (laughs) like, I guess like, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious, but even last night when you introduced me to um, your friend he, and he said too, he's like, Oh, a lot of guys you'll talk to, he's like, they're going to try to just like punk you out or they're going to try to like, you know, just get you to do something for them or something like that. So, so I guess, you know, that, that aspect exists too, but it's, uh, have you had any experiences with that kind of thing? Or like, I don't know. I, I've been doing other kind of like thinking this is kind of separate from real estate, but I think that like, I think no one truly thinks they're a villain in their own eyes. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like no one thinks they're evil. Right, right. So to them, what they're doing doesn't seem evil. They're providing you a service. Like some educational programs, they cost a lot, a lot, a lot of money. But to them, they're like, look, we're helping people achieve financial freedom. Mm-hmm. So for you, it's up to you to decide, okay, I want this service or I don't want this service. And you don't need to blanket them as an evil person or a shady guy. Like they're doing whatever they're doing for a reason. Like that might not align with your values and goals. But that's it. Then you just don't have to work with them. It's it's up to you to see, do I like this person or not? Do I vibe with them or not? Okay. Was that a good answer? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, from everything I've talked to you so far, have there been any big takeaways that you can use? Yeah, like the one of the big things was where you, where you said about people who are trying to sort of live life like a video game, kind of, or like to get like a high <laughs> score, sort of like that. You know, that, that was like... Um, pretty interesting to me because I want, I wonder kind of where we started the conversation. Like I wonder about 
you know, what, what's the real value? Like what's the true value people are looking for in life? Like what are they actually trying to get out of life? And I've noticed in a lot of ways, like maybe money kind of, it, it, it's like standing in the, in, in the place of something that's valuable, but that maybe people are doing things to get it that they're not really enjoying. Like it, the, the whole idea where people are, no one likes their job sort of, but they have to work to make money. And then, you know, that that's there a lot too. So I'm just, I'm kind of rethinking like what my own goals are about why I would want to get into something like this or like what I would want to, how I'd want to like benefit from it or help people or something like that. Money is just a tool to get more things. Maybe I feel in some way like the motivation for that is like kind of like missing. It's hard to uh, be so motivated by just wanting to like acquire things. It's not about the money. It's about doing cool stuff. Doing cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think it's pretty cool. Like do these business transactions and like take a house that looks really gross and make it really nice. Like that's cool. Yeah. And then getting rewarded for it with that, you know, with money, hey, that's a, that's a nice bonus. Right. Right now, I didn't lose money. I'm just doing charity. Like I'm giving away homes at a very cheap price. Mm, I see. Definitely like um, for me too, I think being able to kind of like come out of my comfort zone more, like be able to talk to different people or, and then just sort of like do something that seemed like it would be kind of impossible or not, not really achievable in like a normal mindset people have you know just like pushing myself to try something new like what motivated me to try to get into this but i just you know i want to like stick with something more and and figure stuff out but still just like a lot of uh confusion is there definitely absolutely you know take some time Mm -hmm. take some time and like just think about what you want to do you know no one has the answer of what they want to do with their life right but at least you have some sort of guidance right yeah so I'm wondering, what are you going to do next? I mean, lately I've just been kind of like grinding through this real estate course, but it's a good question, really, what I'm going to do next. I mean, uh, I don't know, like I, I do, I spend a lot of time, I think, like recently too, sort of trying to distract myself too, like with um, YouTube or like stuff like that, you know, and I talked to someone last night about kind of asking them if they do that and they said like, no, they never, they never do anything like that. Like, do you ever find yourself sort of using something as like a, like a distraction to like waste time or something like that? Yeah, of course. Really? Of course. I mean, uh, I used to watch Netflix all day. I, I, I watch YouTube sometimes too. Like, I used yeah. to watch YouTube for video games of games I don't play. Right, right. I do some challenges once in a while to like restrict myself. Like I cannot do these things. And that's when I end up reading like Gandhi's autobiography on a Saturday night. <laughs> Cause I've nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then you feel like that's good. Like to, um, yeah, but it's not sustainable because you'll go crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that. I feel like that too. Yeah. You would, you would go crazy, but just like, you know, once in a while you realize, okay, I may have watched too many videos. Let's stop. Let's go back to work. Yeah. I guess that, um, the like getting my license to be an agent was like kind of appealing because it was some way to get a credential or like to have a job i i mean i think it's the idea that you get to like talk to a lot of people you get to like meet a lot of people that was appealing to me it can be very financially lucrative too yep Mm -hmm. so probably just keep going with that the thing about trying to find deals to invest in and stuff it's it's still a little it, it feels so like like uh intangible kind of or like amorphous to me 
So I'm, I'm still like, I can't, I can't quite grasp like how to really get started with that, you know, but I think if I keep going to meetups and, uh, keep working through this course and get my license and maybe start working as an agent, then they can solidify more, like, just like to have more experiences, you know, and be more comfortable around people because just coming out of the situation that I was in kind of introspective and off in the woods, like different places for so long. So I don't know. I'm sure that like a lot of what I'm saying just sounds pretty weird, but no, man, I'm sure you're going to do great. So I'm looking forward to seeing your progression over the next few months. All right. And if you have any other follow-up questions, feel free to reach out anytime. I'll do my best to help. Or if I can't help personally, I'll direct you to someone who can. Awesome. Yeah, that really means a lot. Thanks for uh, no problem, man. taking time to talk to me. Yeah. No problem, man. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Take care. See ya. Bye. Speaking with Max was incredibly fun. We talked about how to start with no money, connections or knowledge, and how to evaluate a deal. We also talked about how to fund the deals and how to be successful in this business. And finally, we talked about how to deal with failure and how you need an abundance mindset to succeed. I hope you all learned a lot. It was a lot of fun going through and answering all of these questions. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com and check out the show notes at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.